was blind, but now I see through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already so thankful tonight to be here in your presence. We're thankful, Lord, to know that we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that we belong to you, that you're our Heavenly Father. We give you praise today and we give you glory. What an awesome God you are. We bless your name today. Oh, Lord, what a privilege it is to be a child of God and to have a desire to be in your house on Wednesday night, Lord, to study your word. Lord, you've done so much for us. Everything we have, everything we enjoy, it's all a blessing from your hands. And we are grateful today. Blessed be your name. How we love you today and we praise you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts tonight from your word. Open our eyes, help us see, minister to us, we pray. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. How we love you tonight. You're awesome, God. You're an awesome God. And we love you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because He first loved me to me. You are so wonderful to me. You are so wonderful 
to me. You are so Because you first loved me, reach out and touch the Lord as He goes by. You will find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment our needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as He goes by. I'm learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to even in our midst tonight, I know that there are needs that we have. We think about the requests that are shared here on Sunday morning. Lord, the way that uh, people have begun to just pour out their hearts, share their needs, and then throughout the week we recall those to mind and we lift them up in prayer. And then every one of us, when we walk into the building, Lord, if we were to be honest, there are needs in our lives. There are things that we have to learn to trust you with, place our faith and our confidence in you. So we're asking tonight, Lord, that you would be gracious and merciful to us. Lord, that you would meet our needs, that you would encourage our hearts. There's no way, Lord, when you look across the group tonight, that I would know or anybody else here would know what's going on in everybody's heart and everybody's life. There are burdens, there are problems, there are fears. There are difficulties, challenges, situations that we face. Maybe sickness, grief, sorrow, relationship problems. Lord, it just runs the gamut. We know this is true because we're people. This This is a tough place, Lord. The world is a difficult place now. So we're just asking for your help and your guidance and your direction and your mercy, grace, your healing, your provision, salvation for the lost healing for the sick. We love you tonight. What a Savior you are. And we bless your name. Thank you, Lord. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. 
It is well, it is well with my soul, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Amen. That was a good job, guys. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for singing. While we were singing, I just happened to be thinking about the um, Quakers. When the Quakers would go to church and they didn't have a designated pastor or preacher there, they would all go and sit in a congregation just like this when it was time to start and sit there. Until somebody felt inspired to sing, or somebody felt inspired to pray, or somebody felt inspired to testify. And that's the way it went. So you just sat there and waited. And then somebody would strike out on a song. And when they finished, they'd sit there in silence, perhaps. Until somebody else was inspired with a song or a testimony or time of prayer or whatever. That's the way it went. And that's the way they did it. Um, but it is a, it's a blessing, is it? Sometimes just to kind of, I didn't have this planned, it just seemed like it happened, but it was, it's good, wasn't it? To kind of worship the Lord for a few minutes on a Wednesday night and, and, uh, take our time in His presence. It's good to see you tonight. All of you who are here, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to been, begin reading tonight in, Chapter 15. Fill in the, fill in, when I stop, you you give me the next word, okay? When I stop, you give me the next word. I once was, you did well. I once was lost. I once was lost. Tonight I'd like to um, take us into scripture and read what Jesus had to say about the lost. How he reacted to the lost. How he dealt with the lost. What did he do with the lost? I think it's very revealing, even for us today. Luke 15, verse 1. If you would pay, pay close attention to who is speaking to him, what they have to say to him, and how he responds to Jesus. Luke 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
Is that not a very interesting couple of sentences there? Think about it. The Bible says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to hear him. Now, you would think, kind of naturally, the way we think, we would think it'd be all the church folk that were drawing near to him, to hear him, right? That's not what this says. The Bible says that it was the sinners who drew near to Jesus to hear him. And who was it complained when the sinners came near to hear Jesus? The church people. That's pretty revealing, isn't it? The sinners had a desire to hear what Jesus said. And when Jesus went to them and they came to him, when he began to fellowship with them, then as someone just said, the church people began to complain. The Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. What a complaint. That the church people would be, in this case Jesus, would be criticized for eating with sinners. Loving sinners. Fellowshipping sinners. Spending time with sinners. I've got to say, uh, uh, someone, I don't know if it was a pastor or preacher when I was in school or what, but there was a survey taken, and it's worse now than it's ever been, I'm sure, and that is that Christians, a lot of Christians cannot identify any sinners that they're close friends with. They're close friends with the church folk, and they have fellowship with the church folk, but they don't have relationships really with sinners. That's sad. How are we going to reach sinners if we don't have any fellowship with them? You know what? And it used to be years ago when you lived in a certain neighborhood, you might have lived there for many, many years. And chances were your next-door neighbors had lived there many, many years too. And you knew everybody around you. Anybody ever live in a community like that when you were growing up? Where you knew everybody in the area and everybody knew you by name. But now, we've got neighbors we don't know who they are. Don't know a thing about them. And we don't know if they're saved or if they're lost. That is, unless they do certain things that become apparent to us. But you know what I'm saying? We don't, and generally speaking, we don't have any dealings with our neighbors. We live in a neighborhood or next to a neighborhood. We go through it every day. And it's a friendly bunch of people. Uh, I always wave, and they always wave anytime you pass somebody going back and forth. It's not that we don't like each other. It's just like that we don't know each other. I don't know how many lost people I drive by every day before I get to 401 from my house. Don't know. And it seems like to me that Jesus probably would never have been caught in that situation. Because he was the type, the Bible says, that sinners drew near to him to hear him. And when they did, and when Jesus drew near to them as well, as we're going to read, the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, that's a big word now, it's in the Bible. So, because of that situation, so Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, In other words, the reason he shared this parable was because of what we've just set up and explained. Jesus is going to respond to that. He's going to respond to their complaining. He's going to respond to their criticism that he was spending time with sinners. And here's what he says. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, until he finds it. Now, may I give you a caution tonight? And that caution would be, be careful about spiritualizing parables. You take a parable and you try to find meaning for every little, every little detail and everything, every, um, uh, every little element in the parable, you try to find a meaning for it. That's not what a parable was designed for. A parable is a very simple, short example, a little short story designed to teach one main point. And most of the time, the Bible even says this, they're usually about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. 
They're kingdom parables. Most of them are called that. So it's not that they're supposed, they're not allegories, they're not, uh, it's not one of those deals where you have to find a meaning for every little um, element in the, in the, um, the story. And so I say that to say this, when, when you say, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost till he finds it? And a lot of times we would, we would equate that with the church. And when somebody from the church leaves, you, you go after them and find them. That's not the context of what this is saying. The context, this is just a simple story. Shepherds abounded in that land, right? David in the Old Testament was a shepherd. There were shepherds all over the place. There were sheep all over the place. That was their livelihood. They didn't have um, bags of gold and wallets a lot of times. They had sheep. That was their livelihood. They sell sheep and so forth. So he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if, if this is your livelihood, this is your life, it's, it's what you have, it's what you possess. If you lose one of them, uh, you, you, you leave those and go after the one which he's lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. And I might, I might, uh, by way of commentary, just add, and he wipes his brow and says, Shoo, I found him. And then they celebrate and they're happy because of the sheep, because the sheep had such value. It was his livelihood. And so he goes on and says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus gives us the meaning of this parable when he says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. When a lost sheep is found, when a sinner comes to Christ, there's reason for rejoicing. And Jesus, now remember the context. Why does he tell them the story? Because he's fellowshipping with sinners. Sinners are hungry to hear what he has to say. And they're coming to him. And as sinners come to him, then there's some church folk, as you all said, who are criticizing Jesus for spending time with sinners, which the Bible says that's the reason he came to begin with, to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? Now, you, we don't have to stretch our imaginations too far, do we, to, to kind of superimpose this passage of Scripture over our situation today in the church and find out, you know as well as I do, I think you do, over the years people have been critical if certain sinners or certain kinds of sinners came to church. Right? I've even heard people say, I wonder what they came to church for. Well, maybe they came to hear about Jesus. Right? How many of you have heard that before? Criticism of somebody coming to church because of the way they live. They're empty in their hearts. They're searching. They're looking for Christ. They come to church. Then they get criticized by church folk for coming. And Jesus kind of draws a line on that. He says, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. We're talking in that parable about the lost sheep. Well, he didn't stop there. He continued. This time he's going to talk about a lost coin. Let's, let's, let's think in terms of, with us, that a lost $100 bill. How many of you would be looking for a lost $100 bill if it was lost? You, you'd want to find that sucker, wouldn't you? Okay. Jesus says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, Jesus said, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And here we are again with rejoicing and people being excited over a sinner who has come to repent. 
come to Christ. You're very familiar with this next parable, I think. Again, it's about someone who was lost. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, everything was gone. He'd wasted his inheritance. There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. That's got to be a hungry man, right, when he's ready to eat the pig slop and do it gladly, but he couldn't find anything to eat. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And here we have again a situation where there was rejoicing Happiness, celebration, when this son had come home. Right? And everybody was happy about that, right? No. No, everybody was not happy about that. Because the Bible says in verse 25, Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Listen to what he says now in verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Does it sound like to you there was any tinge of excitement in him about his brother coming home and being safe? Wouldn't seem to be a bit. Nothing but jealousy, envy, anger, contempt. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So tonight, what I'd like for us to do for a few moments is talk about the lost. Talk about the lost. 
talk about our attitude toward the lost, talk about our responsibilities to the lost, and talk about our commission from the Lord concerning the lost. Sounds like we must have a lot to do with the lost according to the will of the Lord, doesn't it? Let's talk about that. If we were going to talk about, um, if we were going to have a conversation about the best way to grow our church, now don't get spiritual on me all of a sudden, and 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 go back to this passage. Just just think in general, because I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bring us to reality because I've got 20 year history right here. So we're going to keep this honest. Um, in trying to attract people, in trying to grow our church, is it not true that a lot of times our efforts are more towards Christian people and getting them to come than it is people who don't know Jesus at all? You know why? Because there's Christian people out here, they're, they're, they're unsettled, they're unhappy, they're unfulfilled in their church perhaps, and we've never lived in a time when there was so much discontent in people's hearts. And they're running and they're searching and we're seeing that and we say, oh, let's get, let's get all we can get. And, and that's what's happening in the church world today. Instead of churches now reaching out for the lost, most churches are reaching out for other Christians. Statistics will tell us that most church growth that is happening nowadays is not conversion growth, that's people getting saved, it's people leaving one church and going to another. And a lot of cases, what's happening is people are leaving smaller churches, and we may even talk about the reasons for that here in a few minutes. People are leaving smaller churches where they're, well, let's go ahead and talk about it right now. <laughs> People are leaving smaller churches where they are somewhat accountable to somebody because the crowd is small enough that when you're not here, we know it. <laughs> right? If you go to a church that's got 5,000 people attending or 2,000 people attending, you could be gone six months and nobody know. Amen. Especially when they got four or five services, because you may not go in a year, and they just assume you're attending another service. And so there's no expectancy for faithfulness. There's no accountability to anybody. You drift in, you drift out. You know, you come in and you eat, but you go away. And, and there's, there's no reason to be plugged in, no reason to be committed. Well, there's a big reason to be committed, but people don't think about that. It's so easy to be uncommitted in that type of situation. Um, how many of you remember a day when not only in this church, but in a Baptist church or Methodist church or whatever church you grew up in, it used to be that people were committed and loyal to that church, right? That's just where you went and that's where you stayed. How many know it's not that way anymore? Because people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sign you put over your door, if it's Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever. It doesn't, people don't even care anymore. They're not looking for a Baptist church or a Methodist church. They're just looking for a church that feeds them. Gives them what they want. You know, whatever whatever their particular itch is, they want somebody to scratch it. And so loyalty has gone out the window. And about any church, this is, this is common in our culture now. So Baptists are leaving Baptist churches. Methodists are leaving Methodist churches. Pentecostals are leaving Pentecostal churches. And they're all jumping around all over the place. And, and it's not like we're going out and bringing in fish, you know, we're supposed to be fishers of men, right? It's not like we're going out and bringing in the fish, bringing in the harvest. All we're doing is trading fish in different aquariums. Not catching fish, we're just shifting each other around a little bit, like they do at Walmart when they do the fish tanks, you know, changing from one to another. 
And that's not, that's not fruitful. That's not helpful. And it's not reaching the lost. And in a lot of ways, it's very uh, negative for, for Christians because the loyalty has gone. The accountability has gone. It's, it's just all the way around. It's a bad deal. It doesn't work. I would submit to you, and, I, and statistics will show this. This is not even debatable what I'm sharing with you about, about the lost. Most churches are not about reaching the lost anymore. They're just about reaching people. So if we can grab a crowd, it doesn't matter where we grab them from, we make our numbers look good, we bring people in, then we feel good about ourselves. We're growing a church. Um, but you know what? When you analyze that in the light of what Jesus says, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils and done many wonderful works and we did this and we did that and all these wonderful things we did for you? And he will say to them what? Depart from me, I never knew you. So, as we've heard said before, being in a church on Sunday morning no more makes you a Christian than being in a garage makes you an automobile. True? You can go to church for years and not be a Christian. So what we are, what we should be focusing on, if we're going to be biblical, we should be focused on finding sinners and bringing them to Christ. True? I, I, I have no desire, never have, I have no desire to try to lure people from another church. Fact of the matter is, if they're not happy in the church where they are, they're probably not going to be happy when they get to your place either. That's the way it is. So what we have to do is, is we have to learn to think biblically, and that's what I think this passage will help us do tonight. Jesus is concerned with us reaching the lost, people who don't know him. Maybe this would be a good tag to our Bible study from last week. But what do you think it was about Jesus that caused people to seek after him? The Bible says they came to him, to hear him, to see him. And then he reciprocated by going to their homes and fellowshipping them, so forth. I mean, we our excuse today is, well, they don't care anything about God. They're not interested. Well, they were sure interested in Jesus. They followed him by the thousands, didn't they? There was something about Jesus that drew the people. I wonder what that was. Yeah. Well, it didn't hurt. Let's face it. It didn't hurt that he performed miracles and fed thousands. Okay. Let's just get that on the table. We know that's true. But beyond that, there was something about Jesus. And, and I think Cheryl may be onto something there. He was loving and he was compassionate and he was long suffering. I mean, you just, you take, for instance, when they bought to Jesus this woman that was caught in adultery in the very act the Bible says, and they brought her, brought her to Jesus expecting, hoping, I guess, that he was going to say stoner so they could point a finger at him. And Jesus did what? Exactly. He said, now you, you, you who are saying stoner, 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 any of you without sin, you cast the stone. And they were so bothered by that, embarrassed by that, troubled by that, it revealed their heart that they just turn around and start walking off. Um, pardon me? With the sinners. He did. He did. And in, in some ways, we've kind of been taught not to fellowship with sinners. But we see that Jesus did fellowship with sinners. Um, it's going to be hard for us to find what's lost if we don't go where the lost are, right? Especially, they're not beating down our doors to follow after us today, are they? No. So we, we have to develop relationships. We have to invite them to our dinner table. We have to be friends with them. We have to mow the yard when they need it. You know what I'm saying? We have to develop some 
relationships with sinners. One poll was taken of a bunch of church folk, and they were supposed to list the the names of the friends that were sinners that they had that were friends, and nobody could name any. They didn't have no, they had some people that they knew from a distance, but they didn't have any friends who were sinners. Well, Jesus was called the friend of sinners. So would it not make sense that we're going to have to do something in our own um, lives to develop a relationship, uh, an acquaintance, a friendship with people who are lost? Listen, because people, because people do things that you don't do doesn't mean that you can't be their friend and let your light shine before them. And that's the way to reach people. That's the way to, to, um, to make your invitation to them. Why don't you come and join me one Sunday in church? Well, if you're a friend, if you have become a friend to them, they're much more likely to do that than you asking somebody at the gas station who's pumping gas next to you to come to church, right? It, had, it has to do with relationships. And so, uh, really, here's an example. Somebody comes into the church, um, they feel Holy Spirit conviction, they go down to the altar and they give their life to the Lord and their life is radically changed. Do you ever seen that happen to anybody? And generally speaking, they don't know a person in the church, but now they've given their life to the Lord. Is it not true that usually that person is the most effective soul winner in the church now? They go get their family, go get their friends, they go get people who are like them, who are sinners, and bring them in. And the next thing you know, there's four or five or six families that have come to the Lord because of that one person. Because they have relationships with sinners, whereas many of us do not. So, um, I, I, for the last several months or years, I have tried to develop some relationships with sinners. And um, I'll tell you that um, most of it has to do with fishing. Uh, there's two men specifically that I, I've gone out with them on their boats out in the ocean fishing. And I have heard some language that I don't use. I have. I've had to listen to some music that I didn't like at all. But yet I keep going with these guys. And when they pull out a Budweiser... And they offer me one, I say, no thanks, and I'll grab my Pepsi. But that doesn't mean I can't try to develop a friendship with them because we see things differently, right? I mean, you have to become a friend to people. And someday, these guys are going to have a need in their lives, and then they're going to think, I believe I'll call Ron and see what he says about this. And the, door, the day will come, a door will be open to minister to them. But that's, we have to be open to that. And we have to be concerned about the lost. Why should we be concerned about the lost? Why does it matter? Okay, it's a, it's a commandment from the Lord that we do that. But what else? They're lost. It's terrible. Dennis? What is the consequence? Do we believe that? We don't act like it. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to say that. We don't act like it. What what preacher was it, Dad, that 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 made the statement? Oh, it was a prisoner, wasn't it, that made the statement to a preacher? It said, if I... If I believed in the hell that you say you believed in, I would crawl across America on my hands and knees on broken glass to tell one soul if I believed it was true, like you say you do. Did I say that right? Does that make sense? In other words, we, we are flippant about it. We, it just so happened, I watched a video this afternoon, a friend of mine who is a, uh, in ministry posted this video and it was a funeral service that was being preached where this pastor was basically um, 
I don't know what he was trying to say. I was so confused after I heard about five minutes of it. But he he several times talked about there being no hell. There was no hell. It's a it's figment of your imagination. There was no hell. Um, you all know that I believe there's a hell. And I think you believe there's a hell. And if we really do believe that, then we really should form some friendships with some lost people and try to share the gospel with them. Amen? Because it's going to be a terrible thing to see people lost and undone without God. Uh, you've heard me share this before. Um, and I really think it's just as true for you as it is for me as a pastor. But the Lord told the prophet one day, now, if if I give you a message, he says this to a prophet, if I give you a message, if I give you something to say, something to do, and you refuse to tell people what I've said, then their blood's going to be on your hands. But if I give you a message and you go give it to the people and they don't listen, then their blood's going to be on their hands. Now, I could see that being applicable to all of us. If we've got friends and neighbors that we don't know and we've never opened our mouth, can you imagine? Can you imagine what would it be like? How would you feel? This is just, this is off the wall here, okay? How would you feel if I would meet a coworker of yours? You know how you get to talk with people sometimes, and it's a, we say it's a small world because you find out here's somebody that knows you and you know them and how that circle goes around. How would it be if I were to meet one of your coworkers one day and, and I would say, yeah, yeah, they, I'm, I'm the pastor of New Life Church and they attend our church. What if they would say, I didn't know they went to church. <laughs> that wouldn't be a very good testimony, would it? I mean, they, you see what I'm saying? We should not, this should not be any question that people know that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not supposed to be hiding it. Um, my goodness, if the, if the, if the homosexual community and all that group that goes with that several years came out of the closet, don't you think it's high time Christians came out of the closet? Quit trying to hide. And, and blend in with the world and be inconspicuous and maybe even fearful and afraid because of what the repercussions might be and just take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean be obnoxious, but I mean we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and we should not be ashamed to speak up for the Lord and we certainly should not be ashamed to share with other people that there's hope. There's a God that loves them. There's a heaven they can live in in eternity. There's a hell that they're going to live in if they don't live in heaven and just give people the gospel. And you'd be surprised, probably, how many people would respond to that either immediately and receive Christ in, in your conversation or that spark enough interest in them that they would look further, maybe even come to church with you or something. It would make a difference. In their lives. Well, I've done a lot of talking tonight. Let's take a deep breath. Anybody else have anything to say? Anybody? What is what is it that we're told in our society today? When your family, I, you hear this on TV every every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, when you get together in your family gatherings. If you want to keep peace and not have any trouble, there's two things you never talk about at a family gathering. What is it? Church. Exactly. That's it. We're told not to talk about it. We're told not to raise those issues because there's going to be potential conflict there. And that, that, um, that spirit has, has so saturated our hearts. We're going through life where we should be letting our light shine and speaking up for Christ and being unashamed. And we're going through life just in camouflage, trying to hide the fact that, that we're Christians sometimes. And it's counterproductive to what we've been called to do, incidentally. Um, 
In Luke chapter 19, this is an interesting passage relative to what we've just talked about. This little short man, what was his name? I wish Ronnie Rose was here. (laughs) Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Luke 19. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. Here's another guy that's doing that. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. My goodness, he invited himself. (laughs) Did he not? So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Good gracious, how can you be a winner if you don't ever spend time with a sinner? (laughs) How are we going to win them? Then Zacchaeus took, or he stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. What's he saying there? Pardon me? Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's registering some interest in spiritual things and a desire to please the Lord, is he not? Um, he's a little misguided, is he not? He's, he's not getting the whole package together, but he knows enough that he's interested and he's inquisitive and he's striking up this conversation with the Lord. You'll find, as Dennis just mentioned, you'll find a lot of people your friends and, and workers, co-workers and people around you, there's interest there. If you just kind of open the door and give there to be an opportunity for discussion, a lot of people will engage you in a conversation about spiritual things because they're, they're kind of thinking the way you are. Well, there's two things you don't talk about. But if you would raise the issue, you might find that they would be interested And it would open up a whole new world of opportunity for them. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham. Now listen to what Jesus said. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to do what? Wait a minute, let's talk about that word for a minute. To do what? Seek. Seek. He came to seek. He came to seek those who were lost. You think we should do the same? And then, the second part, he also came to save that which was lost. And we read in John 3, 14... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now here's a verse of Scripture we need to know and believe and understand. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. You think some of the reason that evangelism has kind of died on the operating table, so to speak, is the fact that there's a lot of people out there teaching that some are predestined to be lost and some are predestined to be saved. And so if some have been predestined to be lost, why should we even try? 
The problem is, that's a false doctrine. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. Amen? There's nobody predestined to be damned. Nobody predestined to be lost. It's our choice. It's our choice. And it's our job as Christians to let people know they have that choice. There's a loving Heavenly Father who who sent His Son to die for them. And all you have to do is confess your sins and believe, and you can have eternal life. That's awful good news. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. Anyone have any question or comment before we close? Oh, absolutely. How many have ever heard the term Bible thumper? What's a Bible thumper? Yeah. Yeah, you know, if I go pounding Scripture and preaching to somebody and tell them how sorry they are and how everything they're doing is wrong, uh, you're going to have a hard time winning somebody that way, right? But if you love them, that was the thing about Jesus. He was so loving. As Cheryl said earlier, long suffering you could just you could just see the 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 love of the father in him we're going to talk about that sunday the the first thing listed in the fruit of the spirit is love unbelievably important yeah we have to watch that attitude anybody else How many of us among among those who are here tonight, how many, what percentage, what percentage of us who are here tonight has God called to be actively involved in the harvest? All of us, 100%, absolutely. Because it doesn't matter who you are here tonight, you probably can have influence and an effect on somebody's life that I could never reach. Amen. And all of us have certain people that that we could reach that I couldn't reach, or maybe Charles couldn't reach, or Dad couldn't reach. But we all have to, to be loving and humble and open. And here's probably the most important thing of all, after doing those other things, and that is listen to the Spirit of God. And He'll tell us when. He'll tell us when. Um, this illustration from the book of Acts. Absolutely. You have to lead sheep, right? My mind went blank. I was going to share something with you. Oh, yeah. How how long had Peter and John, we know they were Christians, we know they went to the temple, they were Jewish, went to the, to the temple on a regular basis when they were in that area, how many times do you suppose they had walked by the temple gate where there was a man laid who was lame? Because the Bible tells us that man had been laid there for years and years and years. That was his daily place. So he'd been there for years. They had walked in there to, to go to prayer many days. Jesus, I believe with all my heart, Jesus had passed that man many times. That man at the gate. 
I think if you examine Scripture, if he'd been there for years and Jesus went to pray too, he'd pass that man. But one day, after being filled with the Spirit, Peter walked by and the Holy Spirit said, look at him. And when he looked at that man, the man was asking for money. And then, because Peter heard something he'd never heard before, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. And the next part was the amazing part. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then he took him by the hand and pulled him up. And the man was healed and went running, jumping, praising God. And was, was ministered to. I think the difference was he heard the Spirit say, do it. And I believe we'll hear the Spirit at times say, do it. Remember the Quakers I was talking about earlier? They'd go to church and they wouldn't do anything until they heard that voice. Until they felt that song swelling up within them or whatever. Uh, we have to be sensitive to that. I'll tell you what, it will transform our church if we begin to add a little bit of that to our church. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like a command from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we, uh, I believe we need to get with it, don't you? Cheryl's ready to get with it. Anybody else ready to get with it? <laughs> Let's stand, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. Lord, we just pray that you would help us. Somehow, let the spark of God, the Spirit of God, be at work inside our hearts and our lives and our spirits. And help us to speak up for you, to be joyful in you. Lord, to let the love of God be seen. Lord, help us to love people. Help us to love sinners. You never called us to hate sinners. Oh, Lord, you called us to love them, reach out to them, share life with them, share the gospel with them. Help us be effective soul winners, we pray. Minister to all of our people and all their various needs, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. I'm sorry for going ten minutes over. <laughs>